God, thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. Um, thank you that even though we mess up, that you are there, that our righteousness is in you. I pray that uh, you would teach us today uh, from your word. You would open up our hearts, open up our eyes, uh, just to hear what you have to say through Michael. I pray that, uh, that we would change today, that we would grow today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, it's good to see each and every one of you this morning. We are in the middle of a series on the life of Jacob. And this is our tenth uh, message. And we've got two more after this. There is an outline in the bulletin if you want to follow along. And if you need one, if you raise your hand, Bo will hand you one this morning. We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22 to the end of that chapter. Apologize that uh, I had some of you lost. We sang that song a week ago or a couple weeks ago, and uh, somehow between then and this morning, I changed all the words up, and so we were missing a few. It worked last time. What happened to those words between then and now, I don't have any idea. We'll try to fix that for next time we sing that so that you're not staring at a blank screen when Brandon's singing something. But that's normal, right? We, uh, we all struggle with something, whether it's technology or more likely uh, relationships. We struggle with relationships because usually it's other people who don't do what we expect them to do or we don't do or they don't do what we need them to do or they don't do what we want them to do and so we we wrestle we struggle in our relationships or maybe sometimes it's our finances the income doesn't quite match up with what the outflow should be or sometimes our, our, our wants don't line up with our haves. Or maybe it's just, I've got and I want to be a good steward of what God's given me. And I struggle with how to do that. The decisions that I need to make to manage how God has blessed us. And so we struggle financially. But also sometimes we just struggle with ourselves. Our own identity. God has said one thing, but I feel another. God's proclaimed a truth to me, but the world speaks or my actions speak something else. I don't match up with what I think I'm supposed to be, and I struggle with that, and I wrestle with that. God, you promised, but my reality is something different. God, you said, but then I don't follow through with what you said, I, my identity is lost at times. And, and often that comes from a sense of, of self-sufficiency. I, I think I can do it. I've got these skills, these gifts, these talents that God's given me, and I apply them, and then I get pretty good at them, and I think I, I don't need God to tell me what to do or how to do it anymore. I can, I can manage. I become very self-sufficient. The level of who I am rises in my own eyes. It's 
in a sense like Muhammad Ali, who one point in time said that he was the greatest. Whether or not you buy that or not, there's a, a story that I looked and I try to vary. I don't like telling stories that really aren't true, but best I can tell this one is. He was on an airplane traveling across the country and he's been known and said before that he didn't really like wearing seat belts in airplanes. Stewardess came by and said, sir, you need to buckle up. And he said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And the stewardess replied, Superman don't need an airplane either. <laughs> Buckle up. We, we get that way. We, we feel immune to what we're supposed to do, what God has called us to do. Um, we become self-sufficient. We become numbed to what God is telling us we need. And then, what usually happens, like with Ali, is we get humbled. It's what's happened to Jacob. He's lived his whole life wrestling, taking advantage, manipulating, and now he finds himself between a rock and a hard place. What's so dark about this is, this is supposed to be the climax of the story. This is supposed to be the happy ending. He's coming back to the land, like God promised he would. Everything should now be okay. He kind of made peace with Laban. He seemed to have done the right thing by sending word to his brother Esau to make peace there as well. But as so often happens in the movies, there's a, a twist. And all of a sudden what we thought was the climax isn't the climax at all. Frodo shows up in Rivendell and thinks, oh, I've done my part. And then he finds out, oh, I've got to go on to Mordor. Dorothy shows up at the Emerald City and thinks, okay, this is it. We're finished and come to find out she's got to go fight the Wicked Witch. Uh, Rapunzel and Tangled finally gets to go see the, 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 the lights that she's been seeing all her life in person, up close, for real. And she thinks, now my life is complete. And then that woman she thought was her mother pulls a fast one on her. And so the story goes on for 30 more minutes. George Bailey thinks that finally he's going to get to travel, but there's a run on the bank and he ends up in Bedford Falls for the rest of his life. Jacob thinks he's coming back home finally to settle and all of a sudden he learns that Esau's on his way with 400 men. And the text tells us that it's nighttime. Not only literally is it dark, but it's dark in his mind. And we read these words beginning in verse 22. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he, the man, said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over the Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth that is in it. But most of all, God, we thank you that you not only speak to us through your word, but through your spirit. And so we ask this morning that you would do that, that you would speak to our hearts, our lives, our minds, and our wills, that they might line up with who you are and what you would have us to be. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. There's a lot of passages in Scripture that I think are just bizarre. Um, The high school kids are are studying the book of Jonah. I think that's a pretty bizarre book. There's plants and a worm and a big fish and this prophet who doesn't do what he's supposed to do and these pagans who do what they're supposed to do. That's a bizarre story. But this beats that by far. Jacob is alone in the wilderness. Uh, The Jabbok is a stream that flows into the Jordan about 20 miles north of the Dead Sea. And it runs through a lot of canyons. And Jacob has crossed or he sent his family across and he stays on one side. And a man shows up. Well, if we read enough, we kind of get the idea this isn't just a man, that it's really God. Um, God's the one that that renames people. Jacob even says at the end, he named the place uh, Peniel, which means the face of God, because I've seen God face to face. We learn in Hosea chapter 12 that this is God who wrestled with Jacob. But the narrator maybe wants us to kind of feel like Jacob feels. It's, if you've ever been way out in the country, I'm not even talking about here where there's a house every once in a while, but way out in the middle of the nowhere, and there's canyons, and it's dark. It's really dark. So if this man comes upon you, Jacob really can't tell who it is, and I think the narrator wants us to know, we don't know who this is. There's just this anonymous person who's wrestling with Jacob. Right now it's a a secret. But if it is God, and it is, why does He seem so weak? Verse 25, when He, the man, saw that He had not prevailed against him. Why Why could God not prevail against a person? That doesn't make sense. I mean, couldn't God prevail against anyone? Doesn't God always get His way? I guess that supposes on your perspective of what that means by getting His way. My thought is that God wants me to always be obedient. God desires me to always follow His will, and yet you can talk to my family if if you want to and and see that God doesn't really quite get His way there. And then verse 26, God says, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. Couldn't He have just disappeared? Like he showed up? Couldn't he have just taken Jacob's hand and and bent it back and and made him cry uncle? Couldn't God have done that, the one who just with a touch dislocated his hip? Why does he appear weak? And then the question in verse 27, he asked Jacob, What is your name? Doesn't God know who he is? 
Doesn't God understand who he's wrestling with? Sometimes God appears weak. Sometimes God appears to let us continue to struggle. Sometimes God appears less than God to open our eyes. Sometimes God doesn't act like God, like we think He should act, because He's trying to teach us something. Trying to to show us something we need to learn. And when He does that, it's not really the weakness of God that's coming through, it's the grace of God, because He could squash Jacob like a bug. He could break Jacob, could have broken Jacob anytime he wanted to over the last 20 years, but he's allowed Jacob to get to this darkest point of his life. Jacob, you've got nowhere to run. <laughs> You're at this river crossing in, in these canyons and there's, there's nowhere to hide when Esau shows up. You're traveling with wives and kids and animals. There's nowhere to go. You're going to have to face this one, Jacob. Jacob has always been the strong one. When he showed up in Padan Aram and they're waiting for the men to come roll the stone away, Jacob does it by himself. When he's complaining about the way Laban is treating him, he talks about undergoing the harsh conditions, the cold and the heat out in the elements. He's always been strong. So when this guy shows up, yeah, I can wrestle you. I can take you down. And he would have. He would have been stubborn enough. Jacob is stubborn enough to continue to wrestle with God. And in the grace of God, God dislocates his hip. He, he breaks him in a sense just a little now, Jacob, there really is no way you're going to be able to run. You're not going to be able to get away from this. You're going to have to face your brother, and you're going to have to trust me. I promised I would bring you into the land. Jacob, you're not back in the land. You're going to have to trust me. So he brings pain into Jacob's life, which really is grace. Do you have pain in your life and and are you willing to, to look at it in, from a different light? Is this God allowing grace to come into my life that I will face what needs to be faced? That I will trust Him? God says, let me go. For the dawn is breaking. That bothered me for a long time. And then a couple of things that I noticed Number one, it's the same exact phrase that Jacob used on Laban six years earlier. Laban, let me go. An echo of the pride of Jacob. I'm self-sufficient, it's time for me to go. And then Laban kind of throws him a bone. Name your wages, you can stay here and work. And Jacob in his conniving and his cunning, ooh, I can take advantage of him. In his mind it was time to go, but... He saw one more opportunity to get Laban back. And he spent six years of frustration. Six years of 
he and Laban wrestling and battling over who really was in control. Yeah, he was blessed, but it was six more years out of the promised land. Jacob, let me go. Do you remember those words, Jacob? A reminder of what Jacob's like. How he's been acting all this time. And then maybe another thought. Let me go for the dawn is breaking. Jacob, you really don't want the sun to come up and see who you're messing with. You really don't want the sun to come up and, and realize that I'm not just a man. I've already dislocated your hip, Jacob. Let me go. Quit struggling. Quit wrestling with me. Let me speak to your heart. But Jacob refuses. No, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I think by this time, Jacob's beginning to realize who he's wrestling with. And he thinks he has the advantage. Ah, For some reason, God wants to get out of here before the sun comes up. But I've got the advantage. Time is on my side. The dawn is just seeing a glimmer. Some of the stars are starting to fade. I've got him. I'm going to look at him face to face. Bless me, God. But then God does something else strange. Jacob, what's your name? Another offer of grace. I don't know what Jacob needed in blessing, but what God gave him was a chance to face who he really was. God doesn't need to know Jacob's name. He knows it. It's the same question he asked Adam and Eve. Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. Same question he asked Cain. Cain, where's your brother Abel? God knew where he was. He asks us those questions because he wants us to confess who we are. He wants us to come clean to God. For us, that seems a little strange. If I said, what's your name? You tell me your name. We don't often name our children based on characteristics. But Jacob meant something, remember? Jacob meant the one who grabs the heel, the deceiver, the one who trips people up. It's who he's been his whole life. And so when God said, Jacob, what's your name? What he really meant was, who are you? And Jacob now is forced to confess. Say it out loud. Speak it to God's face. I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the one who's always trying to get my way through manipulation. And that really is a an offer of grace. Because we can't experience God's blessings if we're still holding on to who we are. That part of us that, well, that we just think is part of us. That we just can't let go. That's just who I am. That's the way I'll always be. It's the way I was born. It's the way I was raised. I just, that's who I am. What we find, though, is God doesn't leave us like that. God doesn't say, well, that may be who you are. He does something about it. He changes us. 
And what he says in verse 28 is, your name shall no longer be Jacob. You're no longer going to be the deceiver. Your name's going to be Israel. Literally, God strives. God contends. God wrestles, if you will. Jacob, you've been wrestling your whole life with men and ultimately with me. And I'm renaming you God strives. God contends. God wrestles. Jacob, would you stop and realize that I've got everything under control? Jacob, if you would have stopped 20 years ago, I could have worked things out with you and Esau and your mom and your dad. Jacob, if you, if you would have stopped wrestling, I could have worked things out with Rachel and Leah. Jacob, if you would have stopped wrestling, I could have worked things out with Laban. Jacob, stop wrestling. I can work things out with Esau. I'm the one, God told him, who strives. I'm the one who contends. And he gave him a new name that not only would he have for the rest of his life, but that his children as a group and their children, ultimately the whole nation would inherit, would inherit a nation named God strives, God contends, God wrestles. In other words, as the psalmist said in 46, which we read a minute ago, cease striving and know that I am God. Quit wrestling. Other versions, New, Amer New International says, be still and know that I am God. We struggle with relationships, we struggle with finances, we struggle with ourself, our own identity. And God says, stop. Stop. It's a means of grace. Finally, we see that God is not weak, but He gives grace. But He's also mysterious shows up in the dark. He wants to leave before the sun comes up. And Jacob says, just to make sure, who are you? What is your name? <laughs> Why do you want to know that, Jacob? Is it not enough that you've not been able to overcome me and you've been able to overcome everybody in your whole life? Is it not enough that I've renamed you? You know who I am. Will you be content, Jacob, to live by faith that this encounter was real and that I have changed you, I've renamed you? That's the question for all of us. Will we be content to walk by faith? I would love for God to show up <laughs> and let me grab hold of Him for a little while. I would love to hear an audible voice. Am I content? Will you be content? Will we be content to wrestle in the dark and to get up the next morning and wonder, is that, is that real? Will we be content to read the wonderful good news that's contained from cover to cover in this book and trust 
even though the world sometimes seems to be falling apart around me. God's mysterious. He's, he's it all at once very easy to find and at the same time impossible to get a hold of. Why is it that you ask my name? You know who I am. Deep down, Jacob, you know. And he did. He renamed the place. I've, I've seen God face to face. And I've survived. The encounters that, if we're willing to have those encounters with God, will change us. The question is, are we willing to search Him out? Are we willing to wrestle with Him in the dark? Are we willing to expose who we are to Him and say, God, this is who I am. I need to be changed. We are seven weeks from celebrating the resurrection. A lot of churches, a lot of denominations, beginning on Wednesday, will start something called Lent. Forty days leading up to Easter, not counting all the Sundays in between, where people take a little bit of time and, and try to prepare their hearts for the resurrection. I would say that's not a bad thing to do. In fact, I would contend that if you don't really understand who you are, in seven weeks the resurrection won't mean as much to you. If you don't spend some time before that wrestling with God about who you are and, and what struggles you have, the resurrection won't be as powerful. If we don't understand our death, our disease, our sin, um, then it's just another Sunday morning. Maybe sing a few different songs. Maybe dress a little nicer. Maybe put a few more chairs out. And so I want to challenge you over the next seven weeks. Uh, something different each week. This week what I would like for you to do is answer that question. Who are you? Now hopefully the first answer to that question is I'm a child of God, but I want to back up a little bit because we need to peel back some layers. What about those times that you don't walk with God? What about those times when you struggle to live out the truth that's in you? Who are you then? How do you handle relationships? How do you handle yourself when you've kind of put God on the shelf? What does your life look like? Who are you if God is not present? That's the question we all need to answer. The first question we need to answer. So that that Sunday morning, seven weeks from now, we can rejoice and celebrate because the resurrection actually deep down inside means something to us. It's not just something we do once a year. Oh yeah, it's Easter. We've got to dress up a little nicer and put out a few more chairs and there'll be more people there and we'll sing some different songs. I want for me, for all of us to be able to celebrate that in a way that we have not celebrated that maybe in a long time, maybe ever. And it starts with recognizing who we were before God got a hold of us. It's, it's very scriptural for us sometimes to remember. Read Ephesians chapter 2. Remember who you were before Christ. 
and if I think we're honest, who we sometimes still are when we ignore Him, when we don't allow His Spirit to live through us. So my challenge to you is answer that question. Who are you? What would characterize you if God did not have control of you? Um, What sin tends to rear its ugly head in your life when you're tired or stressed or life isn't going well? What is your default response when God's not present? Would you think about that this week? Would you dwell on that? Would Would you think through that? And then, as Jacob was forced to do, would you tell God, God, this is who I am without you. Spend some time with God. Some people during the course of Lent will choose to to give something up, will choose to forego something and use that time or use that energy or use that money um, to seek God in a different way. That's up to you. That's between you and God what you want to do. There's not uh, a ritualistic thing that you have to do between now and Easter to prepare But I do want to challenge you to think about who you are. Because I do want that Sunday morning, seven weeks from now, when we look at the resurrection, to be the most wonderful thing that you've experienced in many, many years. Not because we do anything special, but because your heart is ready to rejoice at the wonderful gift that He's given you. The guys are going to come up and sing one more song for us, and we're going to spend some time after this in some other classes. But let me encourage you and challenge you to think about who you are. And then ultimately, who God is. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for this morning, and I thank you for, thank you for Jacob. I thank you that he has through His stubbornness and rebellion at times, given us insight into who You are. And so we praise You for Your Word, for the stories of people who are just like us, who have encountered You and have become different because You encountered them. So God, I pray as we go through our week that You would continue to reveal Yourself to us. And may we ultimately deal with you and not just those people around us. May our wrestlings be with you and may we see that you're the one who ultimately is at work in our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.